Hey, it's Chris, and welcome to the After Party. I think this is going to be one of the most interesting episodes that we've done so far. I'm looking over all the stuff I want to talk about, and it's all very interesting. I keep adding stuff because there's so much Apple cool stuff to talk about. Let me first, though, start by filling you in on some channel news, daily tech stuff. Something really interesting happened on the channel this last week. If you don't make YouTube videos, I have to explain something. You get all these analytics in the back, and one of the pieces of data that YouTube provides is how your latest video did compared to the last nine uploads. So it shows you kind of a snapshot of how your latest 10 videos have done. And I've never had this happen before, ever, in the history of doing YouTube stuff starting with the new iPad Pro accessories, and then don't buy the wrong iPhone, and then game-changing Mac tips and settings, those three videos successively were each number one out of the last 10 videos. Usually, I'm pretty excited if I get number one, uh, you know, the latest upload out of the last 10. I'm really happy if it's just number three, if it's in the top five, you know, at least it's doing good. If it gets down into, like, number seven or eight or nine, it's pretty much a dead video. It's really not going to get promoted by YouTube's algorithms, but successively new iPad Pro accessories ranked number one and then don't buy the wrong iPhone ranked number one ahead of that and then game-changing mag tips ranked number one ahead of that and then I broke the streak with the best to do app for the iPhone <laughs> that video just didn't resonate I think maybe it's just too boring for people I expect it to maybe do better in search traffic as the year goes on people will be searching for that and find it and then it'll be useful and they'll like it but it's kind of a bummer when you spend that much time, especially after three number one videos, to then have one that ranked number 10. Uh, but that's just how it goes. But I was really excited about that. Well, why don't we just dive into the Apple stuff? Because there's a lot, a lot to hit today. This might be a long episode. First, I want to talk about Apple exploring, which means they patented. This is not something that's guaranteed to happen, but wow, am I excited. Exploring what some people are calling a radical iMac redesign the most radical redesign since the original. I've always been a huge iMac fan. I've had at least one or two, and they were great. They I eventually outgrew them in terms of what I needed performance-wise. Otherwise, it's just a really, really cool thing. And, you know, they're not mobile. That's the big drawback with the iMac, even the iMac Pro. It's more powerful, but it's not mobile. So if you do any kind of travel for your business and you need more power, then you're like me and you default to the MacBook Pro. Unless you need so much power and you got 40 grand to spend, then you get the Mac Pro. But just for a computer to have either, you know, there's there are offices where you don't need a ton of power, but you need a big screen, something that looks nice too for the atmosphere. and Or, or if you're just at home and you just want something that looks cool. The iMac is such a great machine for, for so many people. But I'm sitting here looking at this patent picture that Apple filed and you know, the patents, Apple patents, they never, they give like a bare bones, you know, picture and description of what they're thinking of doing so they don't give everything away. But even this bare bones picture just looks incredible. So what it looks like, it's like one huge slab of glass that curves down, almost kind of reminds me of a car windshield in a way, although that's not a, a good description, a big piece of glass. And then that curves down, it's flat for the screen that curves down into the base and it's all one kind of long connected piece of glass it's almost like a rectangle where the bottom little bit the bottom 80 percent kind of bends and turns into the keyboard in a way that's what the diagram looks like and that's pretty cool and i really feel like apple does need to innovate in this space because if you look at what microsoft's doing in the surface world 
some of the Surface desktop machines look really cool. And that was some some of the design from Microsoft that a while back people started saying, is Microsoft now the new Apple? Because their hardware team and design team was making such cool, innovative, different looking devices. There's no doubt Microsoft's design chops have really gotten sharper recently. So Apple is definitely due for a refresh here. They came in, they made something amazing. Everyone sort of copied it when it came to trying to make a really nice, cool looking all-in-one design. And I've tried some other all-in-ones and they just haven't been the same. Part of it's the Windows experience. Not to bash Windows or anything, but when you open up the start menu on Windows and there's an ad there, that is not cool. So I'm not really talking about, let's say HP or anybody else that's really trying to get into all-in-ones. I'm mostly talking about Microsoft. Microsoft has some really cool stuff. Stuff that folds, stuff with dials that you put on the screen and pop-up controls, some cool stuff. So I'm excited by the fact that Apple's even filing this patent because it's time. Now, obviously all the usual disclaimers, whenever we have a patent filing like this, everyone gets all excited and there's websites just dedicated to covering Apple's patented stuff. This doesn't mean that it's gonna happen, but it does mean Apple's got some people thinking about what's next in this space. In the picture, this just looks like a really thin thing and it's described as one big piece of glass, but can you house all the components that you need in that thin space? Well, maybe so, if you spread it all out, think about how thin TVs have gotten lately. If you look at some of the higher end TVs, really thin, and then a lot of the, you know, towards the base, it's a little bit thicker because that's where a lot of the components live that aren't part of the display. So this could be something that's amazing. You think about those Instagram accounts with all the cool setups, what they would look like with something like this. It's pretty cool. It's worth looking up if you're just listening to this in the car or something. I'll, maybe I'll try to link it up in the description if I can remember. Let's just stick with the rumors for a second because Apple also has filed something that's leading us to believe that Siri is going to be coming into your car to possibly become your personal chauffeur. So the idea here is that Apple's working on technology. Now, the fact that it's Siri may not have some people super excited because in their minds, Siri ranks so far behind Google Assistant or Alexa, for instance, in terms of actual smarts, but it is getting better behind the scenes. But I don't know, it's gonna take a lot for it to overcome its reputation that it's earned. But imagine this, just being able to hop in the car and tell Siri where you wanna go and then your car goes. So you could say, I'm looking for coffee and it will just take you to the nearest coffee. Or you could obviously specify something very specific. I'm looking for nitro cold brew. Would it take me there? I don't know, Google might. <laughs> the, best, the best nitro cold brew. Google, I think if it, if it had similar technology would get me there. Siri, I don't know. But the idea is solid. As we get into the driverless car era, and Apple's working on something car related, we know that. Project Titan, we don't know if it's gonna be an actual car, there is speculation that it's probably just going to be technology that goes into cars. Maybe that car companies license. Maybe Mercedes licenses it, Ford licenses it, and it powers, it becomes kind of the operating system of the car on a deeper level than just what we have with CarPlay, where it kind of mirrors what's on your phone and interacts with your phone. And that's honestly probably where my head is at right now in terms of guessing what Apple's up to. Of course, I would drool over an Apple-designed car and for all intents and purposes, 
Tesla, in my mind, is the Apple of cars already right now. Although I wish that you could do CarPlay in Tesla. It's, it's, it's a trade-off with Tesla. You don't get CarPlay, but you do get all these other things. You can have Netflix when you're parked, and there's games when you're parked, and, and plus nice design and whatever. And Tesla's obviously going crazy with self-driving stuff and technology, and, and they're always adding fun new things all the time. Like, did you see the thing where the Teslas are going to start talking to people? That's a real thing coming. There's just a good sense of humor slash they're willing to do things that other car companies aren't. So Tesla, that's cool. That's not what this is about, this podcast. But it gets cooler, though, than just, hey, Siri, drive me here. It can also help you, apparently, based on the patent, find the best parking place, which is really cool. How many times am I driving around Denver, let's say, for instance, and I can't find a parking place for the place I want to go? Went to a really awesome indoor putt-putt golf place the other day. If you're following on Instagram, maybe you saw that. It's in this big brick building in downtown Denver, and luckily, I was able to get a parking spot in the garage right across. But if I had just been cruising around the block, because sometimes you just get lucky. Other times, I went to that same day, I went to the Denver Central Market, which is this really awesome food hall because they have amazing coffee. And then have you ever been to a food hall? They're all over the place. It's, it's fairly new to me because I'm, I guess I'm behind the times, but they're all over. But it's not a food court. It's a food hall. It's just a little bit more designy with some stuff. So there's like coffee, ice cream in this particular one, a bakery. There's an oyster place, a butcher. There's Italian. There's sandwiches. It's, it's really nice. But this particular one, there's no parking around. It's really hard to find a parking spot at this place. So if you could just combine going somewhere you want without having to drive and the car finds the best parking spot for you, that's seriously amazing. I almost wanted to find the parking spot more than I do just the driving. So in the scenario in the article that was talking about this, you could even say, I'm looking for new plants for my garden and then if there's a big retail store i'm thinking about like lowe's or something or home depot then we know where they have a separate entrance for the garden stuff then it would know maybe it needs to park using machine learning over by that entrance even instead of the main entrance i mean that's pretty interesting and then back to the coffee thing it actually talks about if you say i want some coffee you could say you know by nearest thing so proximity or by price Let's just face it, I would want the best coffee there is. Prices be darned. Or it can even interact with your history of particular coffee shops, too, and take that into account. And some people won't like that. But I guess if anybody's going to be doing it, you might as well have that kind of information in Apple's hands. And then there's also some other interesting language in, in the patent. It talks about being able to read gestures or gazes, or there's touch-based intent signals using sensor devices, and maybe that's your iPhone or something on the dash. I don't know. But for instance, you could use your phone to point at a particular parking spot, for instance, and then it would park in that exact spot, but you don't have to do the parking. I don't know. How good are the cars going to be at parking in parallel spaces and stuff? Because there's some spaces I'll skip because I don't want to mess with it. If you have a big enough car, you know, some cars are like tanks and some cars are smaller, like something like a sedan, a family sedan, which nobody's buying these days. That's larger. It's longer. And it's not as fun to be parallel parking with something like that. So I would happily point to the spot and outsource that. Once we get to the spot where cars can just drive themselves completely, work out all the kinks for the most part, then 
think about all the productivity that you can reclaim because how much time is wasted going somewhere because you got to drive there. But if you could bust out the iPad or the MacBook and actually be working while your car drives you somewhere, man, I could get a lot more done. So car stuff, interesting, just very briefly. I just want to mention something about Apple TV Plus because I know it's not super, super interesting, but I was just floored when I saw that apparently Apple TV Plus has garnered more subscribers already than Hulu. And Hulu's not the biggest giant in space by any means, but even also more than Disney Plus. Apple TV Plus and Disney Plus kind of launched around the same time. And I think everyone just expected Disney Plus to come in and clean up. But, and for me, I was really excited about The Mandalorian. I can't remember if I've talked about that on here or not. Mandalorian was great. But then when I was done with that, there wasn't a whole lot of depth to the catalog yet. And so for me, it was like, well, is Disney Plus even worth subscribing to anymore? And now on the Apple side of things, I haven't found a single show that I've been excited about. In fact, I've been more disappointed. And it's not really, it doesn't have to do with the quality of the show. It's more about just the content in general. I'm not looking for another show that is just about shock in some way. Like the morning show, I feel like, kind of. I know it's trying to be relevant with stuff, but it's not what I'm looking for. I mean, I didn't even watch Game of Thrones because that wasn't for me either. I mean, I might be one of the only people talking about Apple stuff that is going to tell you I would rather see more family-friendly kind of content. I don't care about it being really gritty. I don't want that. That's why I like something like The Mandalorian, where it's action, you know, but it doesn't have to try to shock you to get you to like it. But somehow The Wall Street Journal got a report out that says there's 33.6 million subscribers for Apple TV Plus versus 31.8 for Hulu and 23 for Disney Plus. I'm just amazed. And I think it's just down to, I'm positive, uh, Apple offering that one year free for just a giant subsection of people. And so people were checking it out. And then, you know, that's what they're doing. P companies, they love to get you in there for free. And the longer, the better, because then you, you maybe, maybe you'll get used to it. But then a year later, when it's time to bill you and it bills automatically, and all of a sudden they're making a ton of money from it, then you're on the hook. So I'm not rooting against Apple TV or anything. I just haven't found anything of value personally yet. In it. And I expect it to keep growing. And hopefully they'll have something that appeals to me at some point during the free trial, <laughs> at least. But I'm just shocked. That's all. I'm just shocked. Here's something that's a little bit more interesting. Apple has partnered with some gyms, only four, none of which are actually around in my area, to make the Apple Watch more interesting for its customers. And as you know, the Apple Watch, its big core selling feature and, and the, the whole reason why so many people buy it has to do with health. And for those people, it just got a lot cooler. So the whole spiel here, the whole thing, it's under the umbrella of Apple Watch Connected. That's the branding for this new initiative. And there's four things that gyms have to offer in order to take part in this. Number one, there has to be an app for iPhones and Apple Watches that gives you information. So you have to be able to see in that app things like class times for, I don't know, spinning class or something. You know what I mean? Second of all, there has to be support for Apple Pay. By the way, I have a cool Apple Pay story. While I was at that putt-putt golf place that I mentioned earlier, I was amazed at all the things that took Apple Pay. There was a photo booth that I paid for with Apple Pay. There was a skee-ball machine, Apple Pay. 
all the arcade stuff was all Apple Pay. I, I just used my Apple Watch. It was awesome. I wish the rest of the world would catch up to the putt-putt place. So anyways, Apple Pay supported at the gym. That, that's a requirement, but that's a very good thing. And then you also have to be able to offer, if you're one of the gyms and you want to sign up for this, like a perk for the people with Apple Watches. And that's probably going to come in the form of a membership discount. And then fourth, you got to have some fitness equipment that supports gym kit, which I don't know if you remember or heard about this before, but it'll sync up with your Apple Watch and, and just give you more accurate tracking of your exercises. So the gyms that are actually on board with this, YMCA, I guess there's a YMCA around, but Crunch Fitness, Basecamp Fitness, and Orange Theory. Those last three, I haven't even heard of before. So they're somewhere, but they're not where I am. And I actually hope that this kind of thing could spread elsewhere. Maybe it doesn't have to just be fitness and gyms. I would love to see other perks for Apple Watch wearers. That would be amazing. And I should mention, it's not every location of these gyms that's going to offer this. It's just at select locations. I'm sure it's a, a pilot program. Just test it out, see how people like it, see if it's working. And that makes sense. So Crunch Fitness, they're offering membership discounts for people who work out regularly. Orange Theory, they're offering gift card perks, whatever that means. And then YMCA, they'll donate classes to kids. I don't even know what really that entails because I don't pop into the YMCA and know all their ins and outs. Basecamp, on the other hand, they are offering a program that will give subscribers an Apple Watch for free. So that's a completely different thing. So already the four companies, they're offering completely different things. This is very cool. It's um, all for things that help people get more fit or healthy. And I, like I said, I would love to see the spread. Where are my coffee perks for paying with Apple Pay? That's what I want. All right, here's a big ticket item. If you stuck around this far in the podcast, this is what's going to make it worth it, probably. Bloomberg is, is telling us that we're going to get a new low-cost iPhone. It's going into production next month, and we could see it as soon as March. So if you know anything about Apple and schedules and events, sometime in September is usually reserved for launching the flagship new iPhone lineup. So... This actually lends a little bit of credibility to this potential rumor. We've been hearing forever rumors about a new low-cost iPhone coming sometime, and people are saying they want the new iPhone SE, give me a new cheap model. They like cheaper, smaller, and there's just a whole subset of people who would be so excited for this. And it sounds like we're on the verge of this happening in March. So people are calling this the iPhone SE 2. Some people are referring to this as the iPhone 9. And I should say that the wording here is very specific. It says as early as March. It doesn't necessarily say it's actually happening in March for sure. So what's new here is the timeline. And I don't think I've ever talked about this really on the podcast. So we can, you know, all the details about it, what it would actually be, that's kind of been known widely for a while. But the timing is what's new. But just so you know, it's supposed to have Touch ID, and it's supposed to still have a home button. So this is older tech just being repackaged. A13 processor, so that's the same as the iPhone 11, and then a design that's similar to the iPhone 8. So you could expect a 4.7-inch LCD. We're not going to get any OLEDs here. And then some bezels on the top and bottom. Got a chin and forehead, most likely. And as far as the camera, you're looking at a single-lens camera on the back. So minimum viability, minimum functionality in the camera department. But that's okay. 
Some people don't care about telephoto or ultra wide, even though I just made a video about that. Uh, and people were very angry with me, by the way. I, I made a video that said, don't buy the wrong iPhone like me. And I talked about how I got the iPhone 11 for my personal phone and how I got the iPhone 11 Pro for, for the business phone. And I've only, I've had two phones, one for personal, one for business for, for several years. And people got so mad. This is just clickbait. Of course, the, the other one's going to be better, the Pro, because it's more expensive. But not of course. I think the 11 is better for some people. Uh, and then people were like, why don't you just get an eSIM? And I had to explain to so many different people. I got sick, sick of commenting this. People always think they know the best for you. And I try not to do that in the videos because obviously I can only speak from my personal experience, but I was telling people the reason I get two is because you can split up then. First of all, the Pro gives you more storage options. And if I'm using it for video in particular, it's gonna 4K 60 video. It's gonna take up a lot more space. And I don't need a bunch of screenshots and screen recordings and huge videos clogging up my own personal iCloud storage, for instance, or phone storage. There's a reason to have the two, and it makes sense if you're me, and maybe it doesn't make sense for everybody else, but that's the reason. Anyways, I forgot what I was talking about because I, I got off on a little tangent there, but. So I guess I should say, even though people have been referring to this as the iPhone SE 2, it's really not going to be that same form factor. People like that four inch size of the iPhone SE, but it's not gonna be like that. And then the reason people are calling it the iPhone 9 is because it's going to have, it would sort of be between the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10. That's, that's where that comes from. It would have more advanced components inside than the iPhone 8, but at the same time, it's not going to have that more modern design that was introduced with the iPhone 10. And who knows, maybe they'll call it something completely different. So really, I think the main people that they're targeting here are probably iPhone 6 or 6 Plus users who weren't able to update to iOS 13 this year. This is probably the main demographic for this phone. And the reason why they're gonna want that is because if you get iOS 13 and you can get some services, and this is why Apple, I'm talking about Apple, then people can take part in Apple TV Plus and Apple Arcade. So it's really a selfish thing for Apple. Big surprise, company does something that aimed to make money. You know, they wanna sign people up for that. Is it something I'll be reviewing? Potentially, only time will tell. Now here's something that I'm personally really excited about. I don't know how many other people are gonna be really excited about this. Obviously, I tend to get extra excited about Apple stuff. And by the way, I hope it was clear from the Apple TV segment that we just talked about, if people wanna call me an Apple fanboy, I can't really control that. But I don't consider myself somebody who just if Apple puts something out, I'm not just gonna like it because it was put out by Apple. That's not at all what I'm about personally or the channel is about, and Apple TV Plus is just a good example of that. Even Apple Arcade, I tried it out, but I'm not a subscriber right now. Although, they did get a cool new food-related battle royale type of game, which I'm interested in, but I'll probably forget about in just a second, and then I'll be off Apple Arcade again. But, but Apple is, said to be coming out with a backlit smart keyboard with scissor switches for the new 2020 iPads. I've been waiting for the new iPad for a very long time, the iPad Pro, I should say. And and I guess maybe this is gonna be for all the iPads, maybe it's just gonna be for the Pros. It makes sense if it was just for the Pros because, you know, differentiate. The smart keyboard did trickle down now to the regular iPads, but the base iPads. 
but it's one of the things that everyone's been complaining about with the keyboard for the iPad Pro, the official one, the Apple one, is that there hasn't been a backlight. And some people don't care, but I do. I do work in some sometimes a darkened room or situation. Oftentimes I'm up early. I can get up at three or four sometimes. That's not healthy, but it's happened. And yeah, I don't just blare, blast all the lights. Sometimes we'll turn on like a desk lamp or light. And that is a key time for me to be getting some script work in or something. And yeah, a backlit keyboard absolutely makes a lot of sense for me. I can't use Apple's, I bought it recently, the pro model, the black model for my desk setup, the Apple keyboard is all black and the blacked out mouse, the magic mouse. And I use the blacked out magic mouse, but I was just, I didn't even look at the description of the keyboard before I bought it, but it didn't have a backlight. I couldn't believe it for the price. So I've defaulted to either using um, a Logitech keyboard, which is amazing, the MX series, really, really, really great keyboard, or just using, uh, scooching my computer a little bit closer to the edge of the desk and just using the actual MacBook one too. It all depends. I have different modes for my setup. So right now, the iPad keyboards have this rubber dome design, and it's okay. There's not a ton of key travel, and I don't really mind it too much, but a scissor switch would be a very welcome thing. So one of the things that we got with the MacBook Pro, and and just keyboard-related stuff, the new 16-inch MacBook Pro has more key travel again because previously Apple had been obsessed with thinner switches, and just a thinner overall computer design. So anything that could be thinner, including the keyboard, was integrated. And a lot of people felt that was at the expense of a better typing experience. And I didn't really mind. But I have come around to decide that I do like the new redesign, quote unquote redesign, because is it kind of an old design? Yeah. MacBook Pro keyboard with that extra key travel versus the older keyboard on the MacBook Pros. There is a sweet spot when it comes to key travel because when I sent my lemon back, so far my new MacBook Pro, by the way, hasn't had any freezes, glitches, random restarts or anything so far. So there's a big asterisk there. I have only had it like a week and I've only worked on one or two videos with it. But in the meantime, while I had sent that the old one back, I was using my old 2016 backup, which has become my backup MacBook Pro. And there was just a big difference in typing on that thing. And then when the new one came again, the replacement, yeah, I I really do like that new typing experience better. That just confirmed it for me. So the butterfly mechanism, the butterfly switch that everyone didn't like, that had dust particles get stuck and keys would stick in it that got replaced with the new 2016 That's not what we're talking about here in the iPad. When we say scissor switch, we're talking about what we've gotten on the new 16-inch MacBook Pro. Now, this report that's talking about this, it mentions glowing scissor switch keyboards. So that would really seem to indicate something with backlighting. And really, it's not just about typing in the dark. You know, if you don't have even an indicator when the caps lock key is on, for instance, it's just a pain. How many times have I started typing in all caps because I couldn't tell that that was pressed? So really, the iPad is the iPad. And if you add a keyboard to it, it's it's not whatever the keyboard's like. It's not going to change drastically or dramatically the actual iPad experience in terms of what you can do with the software. But it will change the overall iPad usage experience and make it more positive, I think, especially for people who do a lot of typing. And that's a good thing. 
the iPad, for a lot of things with Apple, you know, you end up with a design that's the same relatively, for the most part, for like three years or so. And so something like this, where it kind of refreshes the overall design, is very welcome to me. Okay, last thing I want to talk about today is, I don't know, it's interesting, is also a rumor. Sorry for all the rumors today, because I know some people don't like to talk about that, because it's like, well, it may not happen. But there's a leak that came out that suggests that Apple might replace that midnight green color on the new iPhone Pros. So this would be, we're talking about the iPhone 12, probably iPhone 12 Pro, with a navy blue. Now, people have already, of course, started mocking this up. And I got to say, I'm not opposed to it. A darker blue looks really good. And so I think it's, in my mind, it looks really similar to some of the cases that Apple has put out for the iPhone, the official Apple cases, like the darker blue leather. This is, the mock-ups sort of remind me of that. And I gotta say, it looks pretty nice. Now, I've mentioned this before in a video. I don't think I really talked about it here, but the, the green, that midnight green, for which is a brand new color for the pros, when it was announced, I thought, that's kind of weird. I, I don't know if I really like that. And I skipped getting it for myself. I went with a white Pro and a white 10R for my personal phones. But I did get some review phones from Apple. I got a black and I got uh, the green too. And when I got it in my hand and it was actually like looking at it in person, I didn't dislike it. And it's, I don't, it's not my favorite color for sure. But when Apple's trying to separate you know, the iPhone lineup, you have the cheaper stuff with really bright colors and then the pro things with kind of, I think they're going for more classy, classy colors. It's just, it's not bad. It is kind of buttoned down and, you know, classy, I guess it is. That's how I would describe it, but I, I don't mind it in person, but I think though, I would absolutely prefer a dark blue over that dark green. No doubt in my mind. Now, it's not a for sure thing. It's This leak came from Everything Apple Pro and Max Weinbach, but it's not out of the realm of possibility and maybe even probability because Apple does change the color lineup for stuff every so often. It's not super infrequent. By the way, can you imagine if the Apple Watch came with some colors, kind of like the iPhone XR or the iPhone 11, something more exciting for that case? That'd be kind of cool. I wouldn't mind seeing that. I also wouldn't mind seeing an Apple Watch Pro. And that's a little hint, 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 for what might be coming up on the channel this week. I'm up to something. I don't know. Should I just mention real quick some of the other iPhone 12 rumors for you to munch on until next week's podcast? Uh, it's talked about that we are going to move all the way over to OLEDs, no more LCDs, maybe. 5G is likely. We didn't get that this year. It could be coming. You know, LG and Samsung and Huawei, they've already dove into the 5G thing. It's very likely that we're going to get an A-series processor upgrade. I mean, that's probably for sure. The last one was the A13, so we'd probably be looking at the A14. People have been saying that's going to be so powerful, it's possibly going to be more powerful than MacBooks, which would be interesting. It'd be so interesting if there was some kind of Samsung DeX-like setup for Apple where you could plug in your phone to a display and power like real powerful desktop class apps. There's something to be said for that. 
but I know Apple doesn't want to cannibalize other things, and I don't really expect that to happen. But if the power's there, there's just interesting other ways for it to be used than just as a phone. And, of course, everyone's speculating maybe the notch is going to disappear. The notch really electrifies a debate between people because some people just hate it, can't stand it, and other people just don't care. You know, most people, when you're using it, I don't think even notice it. I really don't notice it. I would prefer it to be gone, but also it doesn't ruin my day to look at my phone and, oh, there's a notch, because I really don't notice it just when I'm using it. Some people have speculated that maybe we'll have a reimagining of that iPhone 4 design, which was very popular. People liked it, and it was a little, you know, so like the iPad Pro with its more boxier design and flat edges like that, but for a phone. All right, I'm going to cut it off there. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for joining me. I hope you guys have an awesome upcoming week, and I look forward to hanging out with you in the videos. Until next time, later.